0: Uh, let's um, just thank God for our worship team. That was incredible. Thank, thank the Lord for this worship program. Well, my name is Steve Shaper. I'm a pastoral assistant here at New City Fellowship West End. Um, and it is my pleasure to open God's word with you all on this afternoon. If you could open in your Bible or in your device to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah chapter 6. Um, it will be on the screen, but as you can see, it is ultra small. So, my bad about that. Um, so, you probably want a Bible or a device. And we're continuing our series entitled The Call of God. And we're looking at 10 different people in the Bible who have had a personal interaction with God, where God has placed a call on their lives. And we've been thinking about it in two different ways. Big C, where God calls someone to himself uh, for his purposes, and then also more of a, like a little C along the lines of like your vocation or your hobbies or your family, like kind of uh, the little uh, ways that God has had you live out the big C. And up until this point, uh, all the calls that have occurred with, um, we had Abraham first, and then we did Moses last week, All of those calls have been a situation where God has met his person that he's going to call right where they are in the flesh, uh, in a burning bush, you know, right there. But here in Isaiah, it's incredible because the the throne of God, the curtain gets pulled back, not to God coming uh, to the person right where they are, but actually he invites Isaiah into his presence into the throne room of Almighty God, into the, the war, the council place where God uh, 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 creates his decrees and sends people out. So this is the context for where Isaiah is when he's called. So uh, is everyone there? Everyone good? Isaiah 6? So why not you follow along as I read God's good word. In the year that King Uzziah died, And your sin is for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then I said, Here I am, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the hearts of this people dull and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts. And turn and be healed. Then I said, How long, O Lord? And he said to me, Until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth or an oak whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Let's pray, let's open in prayer so we can understand what we're reading. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your gracious and good word. It guides us, it teaches us, and we pray that as we come to it, that our eyes wouldn't be blinded, that our ears would be opened, that uh, you would cause to open our hearts and our minds to receive your good word, that it wouldn't fall on the ground void, but Lord, that it would return to you. And that we could be used in your service by your grace, Lord Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So as we're thinking about like the call of God, it's important to point out a misconception about the call of God that I I fell into, that I ran into as a young buck. uh, And I believed that if I obeyed and answered and followed the call of God, everything would be sweet. That it would be good, that everything would go well because God was on my side. I was trying to please him. I was trying to do what he wanted. And therefore, everything should go really smooth and really easily. But the location of this passage, the, the context of this passage, where God invites Isaiah into his throne room is a little sign. It's a telltale sign that that's not the case. That's not how it's supposed to go because there's language of Lord of Hosts. And Lord of hosts is just kind of a a fancy way to say the angelic armies of God. And what is God sitting in? Sitting in a throne, right? That's kingship, that's authority, that's power. And kings make war against other kingdoms to create peace for their people. And so as I was thinking about the call that I had on my life, Alongside the call of Isaiah, he might have thought, oh, this is going to be sweet. I'm going to be following God. I'm going to be doing what he said. But as soon as he gets in that place, he knows, oh, snap, this is the real deal. I'm headed to battle. (laughs) And so there's a spiritual war going on. There's a spiritual uh, conflict, this cosmic conflict of of what is good and evil rubbing up against each other. There's holy and unholy. Ooh, my bad. Uh, there is pure and impure rubbing up against each other. There's heaven and hell. There's God and all that opposes God. And so it's no wonder that as you are called to this cosmic divide, to be on the front lines of this cosmic divide, that it wouldn't be sweet. You're in the crosshair. You're in the crossfire of cosmic conflict. It makes me think about um, uh, 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 like tectonic plates. You guys know that that there's continents. Uh, with tectonic plates underneath the ground and they push up against each other and when they grind hard enough and they push up against each other, then what happens? Earthquakes, volcanoes, tsunamis. And it's as if God is saying, go and dwell there. Go and live there. Go and minister. I'm calling you to be on that line as my people. And so what we can walk away with is that it's not everything sweet. It's not easy. That misconception about the call of God being smooth, we can throw that away. It's actually dangerous. It's the real deal. So how do we live? How do we respond to that? What do we do in light of the dangerous call that we've been given? Well, that's what we're talking about today. We're going to talk about how we can answer in light of this danger. And we're going to first start about answering truthfully. We're going to look at how we can answer truthfully. Then we're going to look at answering gratefully. And last, we're going to look at answering faithfully. Uh, In other words, we need to come correct if we're going to be on God's mission and a part of his call. And so we're going to answer truthfully, gratefully, and faithfully. You guys still good with me? All right. So let's get them right, right into it. Answer truthfully. Uh, he answers truthfully, not only about himself, Isaiah does, but also the people that he's in the midst of. Um, sometimes you know more about who you are based on who you're not. Uh, one time I was uh, working in Chicago with was uh, a, a teacher, as part of a high school, and we went out to lunch. And the conversations that all my coworkers were, I'd never gone out to lunch with them before. I kind of kept my head down, didn't talk to them for real. And, uh, and so we went to lunch and the conversation that they were having, I was like, what? This is what we're on? This is how we live? And I was like, that's crazy. And so I was so surprised and I knew leaving that lunch, leaving that conversation more about who I was because I knew what I wasn't. I knew that I wasn't on that. I knew I wasn't doing some of those things. And so I knew who I was and that's what happens in this passage, not with a fellow uh, sinner, like my friends at lunch, but this is a knowing who you are in sight of Almighty God. So look at verse 1. There's a contrast going on between God and Isaiah in the passage. First, what it says about God is that He's high and lifted up, and the train of His robe filled the temple. So the concept that is being communicated there is that just the little hem of God's garment. Just the tiny little bit of his robe consumes and fills the entire temple. So the idea is that he is incalculable. He's huge. He's he's enormous. He's mighty. And then on top of that, the, the seraphim, these angelic beings, go on to call him holy, holy, holy. Now we might pass over that. Okay, holy, holy, holy. That's fine. That sounds good. But actually, in some ways, the Hebrew is a little bit more uh, like English. And what I mean is that this morning uh, I was having the girls, uh, the three girls clean up their playroom. And I said, go clean up the room. And the oldest said it's clean. So I do what? Come up and check, right? Let's see, let's see about that. So I look and they kind of put some things in place but it wasn't clean. And, and I looked at the oldest and I said, no, clean, clean. Clean, clean. And what do I mean by that? Like, for real. No, you need to clean it up. And in the Bible, what it does is the same thing. In Hebrew, when you want to communicate pure gold, what they do is in the uh, translation of pure gold is they call it gold gold. Gold gold. That's how that gets translated to pure gold. And so when we get here to holy, 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 this is the super superlative. This is This is holy on top of holy on top of holy. And we know this is significant because the only time in Hebrew where you get those adjectives three in a row like that is when it's talking about who? Almighty God. That's the only time we get that. So gold, okay. Pure gold, gold, gold. But when it comes to God, holy, holy, holy is almighty God. So what does Isaiah know about himself based on what he knows about God? He is not like that. Right? He is not that way at all. In fact, in verse 5, you'll see that he says, woe is me. And woe is me is not like, uh, ah, woe. No, that means cursed. That means like, I am cut off. I shouldn't be here. I shouldn't have anything to do with this. And then he goes on to say, I am lost. Another way to translate that is, I am undone. I unravel before God. It's like... uh, uh, no spoilers, but if you've seen the first Avengers, I think, you know, oh boy, Thanos, and then everyone disintegrated, right? That, that's like, sorry if you haven't seen it. <laughs> I, I said no spoilers and immediately did all spoilers. Um, so that idea of, of him, the people fading away, that's kind of the same concept where, where you melt before God. And then he says, uh, I am a man of unclean lips, And so what Isaiah is doing here is in the sight of Almighty God, in the contrast of himself against Almighty God, he tells the truth. He knows who he is. He has a hard look in the mirror and says, I am unclean. I am a sinner. I deserve to be cast out. I deserve to be cursed. And so here's a hard question for you today. Have you stood before God and came to the same conclusion? Have you come before God and said, apart from Jesus, apart from your intervention, God, I deserve hell? Apart from you, God, I deserve eternal separation. I can't earn it. I can't get to you. There's no insight of you, in, the, in, in contrast to who you are, I know who I am. And so, in a society where we keep telling ourselves that, oh, we're good, that we hand out uh, awards just because you participated, In a society where we we commend ourselves and call everyone good, God says something completely different. In light of who I am, you do not look like what you're supposed to look like. You do not reflect my glory. So we need to be honest about that. And he is. So he answers truthfully about himself, but then he doesn't end end it there. He answers truthfully about his people. We'll keep going in verse 5. He says, I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. So he says, I see my sin, but I also see the sins of my people, the people that I call my own. I see their sins, and and not only that, I'm not blinded to it, but I call it out. Now, it's real easy in our day and age to only hear and promote the same narrative of your people over and over and over. All the social media algorithms uh, are are to reinforce the messages that you hear and the messages that you like. And what that creates is a community and a people that does not see our blind spots. We think, oh, they're a part of my tribe, they're a part of my community, They're, they're on my side, they're all good and everyone else is all bad. This is challenging that. And so if you're, if you're saying America is all good and the world's all bad, if you're saying that my political uh, uh, group is all good and that political group is all bad, if you even say uh, my Christians, all the Christians, were all good and everyone else is all bad, Isaiah's got something to tell you today. Not only to see the sin of your group, of your people, but to have the courage to call it out. Well, you guys got quiet on that, huh? <laughs> Because it got tough, didn't it? To, act, to call out and challenge the, the sins of your people. It's not easy. And so the application here is to take the blinders off, to call it out, and to tell the truth. You've got to have courage to tell the truth. Now some of us, uh, you're saying, you know what, I see the truth. Uh, I recognize myself as sinful, but that makes me feel less qualified for the call of God. That makes me feel like, dang, I'm a sinner. I know that I can't do it. uh, And what do I do with that? Well, it's a good thing you asked that question because that's our second point. Uh, The second point is to answer the call gratefully because God makes a way. You are a sinner. That's the truth. Tell the truth. But answer the call gratefully because God makes a way. He did it for Isaiah. Look at verse 6, 7, and 8. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and he said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, Here I am, send me. So what that shows us is that even in light of the truth that we are sinners, Woe is me, cursed am I. He gets from woe is me, cursed am I, I shouldn't be able to do this, to send me, I'll go. And it all happens because of this touch. Everyone say touch. Touch. In Hebrew, that same word touch means strike or to afflict. So the sense of his mouth being burned. And in that, God has made a way for his sins to be taken away. The passage says that he doesn't have guilt. His guilt is removed. And it says that his sins are atoned for, and in that he is equipped to do the work of the Lord. In what has been done for him, uh, 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 his his sins being removed and his guilt removed, he's equipped to do the service of the Lord. Now, this is important. You have to get that order right. God forgave him before he asked him who is he, is he going to send. God forgave him before he asked him who is he going to send. It wasn't, I want to send somebody, but now you got to get right in order for me to send you. No, Almighty God forgave him and equipped him before he sent him. God doesn't call the equipped. He equips the called. And so Almighty God is equipping Isaiah for the service that he's going to do. And how does he do that? Forgiveness. He he doesn't give him special words. He doesn't give him uh, special talents. He doesn't give him a beautiful singing voice. He gives him forgiveness. And so Isaiah is forgiven, and that equips him to go and do the service. What about you? Do you know that someone was touched, afflicted, struck on your behalf? That Isaiah goes on to say in Isaiah 53 that he was pierced for our transgressions, for he was crushed for our iniquities. And what? By his stripes, we are healed. And so almighty God made a way not only for Isaiah, but for you and me. The way he made a way for you and me was through Jesus Christ, who he struck on the cross so that he took our sins and we can go free, equipped for service. So maybe you can't sing beautifully like all these people up here. Maybe you don't have great hospitality skills. Maybe you don't have this, that, and the third. But if you believe in Jesus Christ, you're forgiven. Yes. And if you're forgiven, you're equipped. Yes. Amen? Amen? And so he moves on to send me, I'll go. So he gets from, woe is me, I'm cursed, I can't do this, to his sins being taken away, to then on uh, to send me, I'll go. Um, some of you all are familiar with uh, the PCA, our denomination, our exam process, and uh, and I just took uh, the theology exam, and as I was preparing for this message and thinking about how I was preparing to take for that that test for uh, a year on and off, just kind of picking up and putting it down, I realized that I was studying the doctrines of God, studying all the things of God that the PCA tells us you know that are important. They are, but I wasn't believing them. And I know I wasn't believing them because I was walking in shame and guilt. I was afraid of all the exam proctors, what they would think of me. He's not enough. He's not good enough. And so I'm, I'm reading of how Jesus Christ has taken my shame. I'm reading how Jesus Christ has forgiven my sins and equipped me for service. But at the same time, I'm having this double thought that no, 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 guilt, shame, I can't do it. You see how this stumble, this prevents us from moving forward in service to God. This prevents us from the call that we have. We have to embrace the forgiveness that we have in Christ and walk without shame. So are you holding on to your past? What's preventing you from serving, from answering the call with gratitude? If you are walking and holding on to shame, know this, hear this. If you don't hear anything else that almighty God sent Jesus to make a way to die on the cross for your sins so that you can live a life without guilt, without shame, with your sins atoned for. Praise God for that. Now, he goes on to say, uh, send me, I'll go. And that would be wonderful. That would be a great place to stop the text. Be like, all right, send me, I'll go. He's going to go. It's going to be good. Roll credits. They walk <laughs> off into the sunset. But God's too real for that. And so that brings us to our third point, to answer the call faithfully apart of re- results. Answer the call faithfully apart from results. If, uh, if we looked at Isaiah's ministry by itself, kind of on its head, In our context, we might think he was unsuccessful. We might think that didn't go very well. And God even told him ahead of time. Read with me in, uh, follow along as I read verse 9. Go and say to this people, keep on hearing but do not understand. Keep on seeing but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy. And blind their eyes lest they see with their eyes hear with their hearts and understand with their, heart, with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Then I said, because that sounds awful, right? How long? How long is this going to happen? He said, until the cities lie waste without inhabitants and houses without people and the land is, des- is a desolate waste and the Lord removes people far away and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. How about that for a call? How's that sound? Does that sound like a productive ministry? Does that sound like something you want to be called to? Does that sound good? And so the encouragement in that is maybe you feel like people aren't listening. Maybe you feel like you've been talking about Jesus over and over and they don't hear. Maybe you feel like you've been in this community for 25 years trying to love your neighbor and share the love of Jesus. Well, Isaiah, you're in good company with Isaiah, aren't you? And he's still called to be faithful and the temptation in not being so-called productive is to look away from God and what he's done and called you to but instead look to programs that are productive or are successful there's a subtle contrast going on here we talked about the contrast between God and Isaiah but there's another contrast going on uh verse one in the year that King Uzziah died so who's King Uzziah and what's his story? Does that, I didn't know. I was like, King Uzziah? I'm trying to remember. In 2 Chronicles chapter 26, King Uzziah is successful in everything that he does. Everything that his hand touched to is successful. His military power is excellent. The technology that he has is wonderful. He, he guards the, the God's people with success. Everyone that he calls to become part of the military is great. The numbers are very high in the military. Agriculturally, they're doing very well. The whole whole people of God are doing very well under Uzziah. But, it doesn't stop there, but towards the end of his life, Uzziah, in a moment of faithlessness, not following the promises of God, rather than relying on his own skill, his own acumen, his accolades, desires to go into the temple. He wants to burn incense in the temple. And so the priests, they say, no, 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 no. Only sons of Aaron can go and do that. And he's angry and he brushes him off. And so he goes into the temple to burn his incense. And God, this this is what the word is, touched him. God touched him and afflicted him with leprosy. And if you remember the rules, if you're, if you're a leper, you're cut off from the people. He's removed from his king position, and that's how he dies. Isaiah, unsuccessful by our turns, uh, by our, our mindset, isn't going to have a fruitful ministry. Uzziah has this wonderful kingship, wonderful ministry, but is not faithful when it matters most. You see this contrast. What's being said here is that don't don't focus on the results. Don't let success or failure dictate your faithfulness, but instead trust the promise of God. What's the promise of God? Verse 13. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again like a terebinth That's like a big tree or an oak whose stump remains when it's felled, when it's knocked down. The holy seed is its stump. So when everything looks bleak, you're not getting any fruit. A tree that's just a stump doesn't bear any fruit. God says to trust in the promise. Trust in what he said he'll do. Um... If this passage, especially in the beginning, was familiar to, the, to you, it's likely because Jesus, uh, well, because you're a Christian that reads your Bible. Shout out to you. Uh, but also because Jesus quotes it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's, it's, a, uh, it's a prominent passage. Uh, and in Matthew, when Jesus quotes this verse, the next thing that he talks about is the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, being like a mustard seed. A mustard seed. And though it is small and the most insignificant of all the seeds, it does what? It grows up to be a prominent tree. And so when things aren't looking promising, when things don't look like this will work out, things don't look like I'm trying and I'm trying and I'm trying, if you have that little bit of mustard seed faith in Almighty God and His promises, He will do a wonderful work with you and your call. Things look pretty bleak back then. Christianity was 12 guys, fishermen, fishermen and, uh, and, and a guy that, Almighty God, who promised that he was going to die, that he knew he was going to die. That looks pretty bleak. But look at what God has done in his death and resurrection from Pentecost to uh, the whole message going out over all the earth, to this day where you and I, 2,000 years later, believe in the promises of Almighty God and get eternal salvation because of it. When things are bleak, God makes a way. He can do it. And so answer the call faithfully, even when things don't look like they're going so well. And so as we're considering where we are, uh, as New New City Fellowship West End, I want us to consider, like, look, this is not going to be easy, that it's tough, that if you're answering the call of God, it's dangerous. It's right on the the front line, right on the fault line between heaven and hell, good and evil, almighty God and anything that will oppose him. And so if we're going to answer this call, we need to do so truthfully, gratefully, and faithfully. Let's pray together that we could do that.